It's about me talking about storytelling as a way of life. Our Genesis stories place us on our Awitnakula, our territories from time beginning. These stories are deeply embedded in our language, Kwakwala, of course. There are words like Gilgalis, meaning first ones here, Nuyamagiwe, lead ancestors. These are old stories, old words. The oldest carbon date of all of our nation's presence on the coast of British Columbia, for example, places the Hiltsakh First Nation on their territories stretching back 15,000 years. In the earliest of these times, these stories were told of potlatches, but also at home or at work or in our smokehouses where we used to prepare our foods. Narrative is so important, and we don't have narrative unless we talk to each other. And we can't understand each other if, unless we talk. So somehow in this new age where technology is a part of all that we do now, we have to be able to maintain the ability to talk deeply and in ways that we all understand. Because I believe firmly that when we're able to talk to each other, we can find ways to live peacefully together or reconcile things that divide us by listening, being able to talk, and then moving forward in ways that are mutual. You're listening to One Feather, Two Pens. Lessons and stories from Indigenous peoples building and navigating digital sovereignty, a special series on What's That Noise? It's my uh, absolute pleasure and honor today to introduce everyone to Chief Robert Joseph, one of the hereditary chiefs of the Guawanuic, part of the Amuskama Tribal Alliance uh, here on the west coast of uh, BC, part of the Kwakwakiwak people. Chief Joseph is one of our leading voices of reconciliation and grounded in our Indigenous ways of knowing, ways that make space for something bigger and better for all of us. And, and Chief, I've taken that passage right off the back cover of your book because I think it's so poignant. It's just an absolute pleasure and honor today to have you here and talk with us a little bit about, about this new digital age and where we go and your insights and wisdom and intelligence on how we do that in a good way and make space for that conversation. I'm so very honored to be here with you today and, and share this, uh, share these precious moments with you. Gala Kustlo. Al and I are very, very grateful to have you on the show. As uh, we've shared in the past, Al Lawrence and I came together to not only talk about how Canada has played very specific and general roles in attempting to advance things forward in a progressive way, but also catalyzing so many issues and so much suffering. And so Al and I are very, very grateful to have you here today to continue the conversation, to engage in this digital space in particular. Al and I would like to acknowledge for you and our listeners that we are speaking from the traditional unceded territories of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapewak, and Chinonktung peoples. We live in London, Ontario. And as Lawrence has said so graciously in the past, when he talks about where he lives, it's not just about living and working, but also playing. We live in a very, very beautiful part of this very, very big country. And we try not to take for granted the fact that this is not our land. And I think things become particularly even 
you know, more complicated when we talk about shared space, shared digital space. When Lawrence and I were first talking together and we started banging around some ideas about how to talk about Canadian identity online and Indigenous identity online, we had recognized very quickly, I think, and you guys can let me know if I'm wrong, that digital space is not always created to be open. A lot of people, a lot of politicians will say things like, we have e-democracy for a reason. The digital space is inclusive. Anybody can be involved. And so, you know, whoever's listening right now may agree or, or may disagree, and that's totally fine. But I think part of what's bringing us together here, uh, Chief Bobby Joseph, is to speak with you about your experiences and your insights and your wisdom to see if we can glean some insight about how we can all cooperate and lift up Indigenous people so that that colonial tendency that has tried to shape the digital space doesn't exclude Indigenous people, doesn't exclude Métis, doesn't exclude the Inui. But before we get into that, I, I wanted to ask you <clears throat> on a more general level about the wonderful passage that you read for us at the beginning of the episode. I've read some of your uh, interviews and some things you've shared from your writing in the past, and something really jumped out at me. What jumped out at me, Chief Bobby Joseph, was the fact that you seem to speak from a place of compassion and love, but you do it without judgment. I can't imagine what it might look like or what it may have been like to be an Indigenous person, a survivor of a resi residential school system, and not speak through judgment and not speak through reservation. And so our first question in this episode, if I may, asks, how have you developed so much progressive passion and done it with resilience and without judgment? What a great question. Thank you. I, I think that's a good question too. I, I think, I think uh, when we have the kind of experiences that Indigenous people had, in Canada from the time the first newcomers came, we, we have to learn to understand what the impacts were of that colonial <clears throat> force that came upon us. And if and when we understand ourselves just how deep and harmful and destructive that experience was, we, we need to accept that experience in the light of what it was, that the per people who perpetrated this uh, division and distance between us came with some very, very inferior attitudes and dismissed our existence as indigenous people as being part of humanity and made all kinds of judgments about us. In my own experience, I, I absolutely, I, I, I saw that process in my mind. And I, it took me a while to find a way out of that space where I believed in a narrative that was, been, that was being perpetrated by the newcomers, the white people, the others who came who knew nothing about us, and that they saw the path for them ahead of them uh, would be made much easier by maligning us, dismissing us, 
and just largely ignoring our presence, our special place in this beautiful continent where we've been for thousands of years, grew our own cultures, had our own ways of being and understanding, had our own laws. We knew how to love each other. And I think when cultures clash, one of the first things that happens is there is no way that we can rely on to allow us to love each other. And because there was no dialogue and because there was division and, of course, absolute racism and hatred in some cases, we, we didn't have any means to try to develop a mutual understanding that would allow us to move forward together now, now sharing same space. And I think that's why uh, reconciliation is really important. We have a chance now to retool that uh, based on what we've all been through, create a narrative that is a real dialogue that actually transforms us and change happens. But it doesn't happen without that. Uh, there's a, there absolutely has to be a mindset that shifts in some way like and changes in some way. And here in Canada, we have this powerful opportunity to do that. And if we can do that here, I keep thinking about other nations and continents around the world. If we could truly be a showcase for that, we could transform the world. The people that are listening to me, we, all of us who live here together, we could actually make a big, big difference in the universe. And that, of course, that would transcend to other things. We'd have common interests around the environment, the climate change, and everything else. But and, and that's I think that's one of the important um, tools that we have in, in technology. We can talk to each other from afar now. We can really begin to afford being able to reach out to each other. And companies like yourselves, helping laymen like myself and others, uh, be able to get together, to be able to share our points of view and perspectives about everything, about love, about the climate, and everything else. And so you're in the vanguard here, I think, in this early stage of technology that allows us to meet in um, uh, in my old way, my people would say, this is uh, supernatural because <laughs> I can't feel you or touch you or anything. Mm. But we're talking and we can hear and feel it here sometimes or absolutely all the time, whether it's good or bad. And so I think that you're all in the front of this new wave that may or may not bring us together. You know, there's there's so much there that so much I think critical wisdom and guidance, and just in that context of, you know, coming at it from a place where we we try to work together and we try to find a path forward, and we just recognize and acknowledge each other. And that sometimes I think about the technology as as that as that first contact, if you like, um, with a with another uh, civilization, if I could use that analogy, and, and we don't know how to navigate it in a good way relative you know to i think to us as indigenous people and and how do we solve that tension we are 
we are on this pathway of using this technology in ways that's never been used before. As the owner and founder of One Feather, want to make sure that we are not creating a whole new level of oppression through that technology. Like we're not creating something that continues to marginalize and isolate our people. Um, and at the same time, dealing with something very new. And there's huge amount of tension in that, I think, caused within our communities and with each other as we adopt these technologies. And what does that mean for our old way of life? And how do we evolve and grow in that space? And how do we do it in a good way, I guess? How do we make space for that? So do you have any thoughts or ideas on how we as Aboriginal people, as entrepreneurs, as tech leaders in this space, you know, what advice might you give us who are out here building these things and trying to place ownership on that so that it represents our people and it represents our tradition and, our, and, and, and marries that with innovation in a good way? Do you have thoughts on, on guidance you might share with young Aboriginal, Indigenous entrepreneurs out there in that tech space, how they might lead in this way and make space for the conversation? You know, I, I think that what we have to do is clearly give interpretation of the space that we're in, that there's an old space and there's this new space sort of crowding in. And if we can talk about those two spaces where uh, division was largely a result of our inability to communicate with each other in a deeper way than we usually do, that this new forum, it's a forum, uh, uh, and it's called technology, of course, needs to be nurtured and given life uh, through mm. words that project its potential and possibility now. That what mm -hmm. we ought to do, um, after all of the technologies that have been developed throughout the course of humanity, we've, had, we've struggled to keep their impact uh, a positive. Instead, it usually has contributed to heightened tension and conflict and misunderstanding. In this age, in this space, in this moment, we, and you're the leaders in this now, have to be able to have a, a, a language around it that unmistakably lays out the stakes and the direction that you all think it should go. And so you, the people again, where you are, need to control this narrative, not the big Amazons and Indigos and what others, all, all, all those other <laughs> platforms. You have to be on a stage with those guys and state your, claim your, 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 your brilliance and the energy required to make sure that we, the people, I know it's oversimplified simplified to say we, the people, but so that we, the people, stay connected, feel it's ours, and we want to engage and we contribute to the kind of talk and dialogue and information sharing, knowledge, growth that is required to move in the right direction. So it's always going to be about that fundamental dialogue where you start and you build on it and to make sure that it's a dialogue that belongs to all of us and not just to the scientists or the most brilliant people, but to people like me who can get to say a few things once in a while and share what we think is important. 
And I think I, I think that would be a new uh, step in, in human relations to find a bigger voice for ordinary people. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I know my I know my friend Al wants to jump in, but what I hear you saying is that you're empowering us who are in this space to lead the narrative and to be okay with uh, being in that space, maybe sometimes getting it wrong, but as long as we're doing it from a place of love and a good kind heart, and it's not extractive and it's designed to lift our people up and leave the table better set than we found it, that it's okay to be lead and be out front and all that and, 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 and just work through those, those, that narrative with our people in a, in a good way. And hold your space. Hold your space. Be there. That's what warriors do. They stay there, right? Yeah. You can look at the um, indigenous struggle in this country, and we've been at it a long time. We've lost most of the battles, but we're, we stay there, and we keep hoping that the next generation is going to pick up the energy and the brilliance and, and the force to begin to take part in everything that's going on, right? Yeah, I love it. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, Chief Bobby, Joe, it, it was interesting. One of the previous answers you were you were talking about, uh, what I thought was really interesting was the question was specifically about Canada, and then you turned it around to talk about the North American continent. And what what made me kind of think about that is I can remember seeing a map of, of kind of all the, the territories and how there really wasn't finite lines dividing borders or anything along those lines it was kind of like this is kind of a territory-ish you know and and you know this is the group of people that walk kind of this territory and and things along those lines and it, it uh, was really interesting because immediately as I was doing that I was kind of thinking of what technology does right it kind of tears apart those borders and I, I want to say Lawrence the last time that we were talking to you we were kind of talking about how um, the importance of of kind of getting an indigenous voice in that technological world so that we can start to kind of blur those borders. Uh, uh, another piece of technology that I kind of look at as, as quote, good was I can remember um, Gord Downey from The Tragically Hip. Uh, I can remember uh, in the final concert that he gave, the Prime Minister of Canada being there. And, you know, he actually even said at one point, you know, I've got two and a half minutes where the band needed a rest and I could have said anything and everything uh, to, to the entire nation. And he said, I specifically chose to address the prime minister and speak specifically about First Nations because I wanted everybody to know that, you know, hold him publicly accountable. And, you know, the technology of kind of, uh, you know, it was broadcast across the whole world and given this platform of of, of everything. And, and I guess specifically what, what I wanted to ask you is, is those are two things about technology kind of being used for good, for, for you know, good. I'm using air quotes as I'm saying it as well. As we, we do start to look at at you know this idea of technology being needed to be good what are some things that when you start to envision technology would help technology be good and again i'm using that that those air quotes what are what are some things that you look at as good use of technology to help with uh, with raising the voice of first nations yeah i i, I think uh, uh, one of them would be um being clear about the content or the issue or the subject of discussion being something that technology allows to be openly spoken about in in gatherings like this so that um, all the sides are heard 
And at the front end of it all, we have some kind of objective statement that points out why, in the first place, we need to be on this Mm. in this technology talking about these matters, right? And then being able to guide that with good energy and and bouncing it off against, because there'll always be bad energy as well. And then therefore having a more fulsome, deeper understanding about the issues that face us when it comes to this condition and place in society. He's offering as a way to create a more full dialogue about issues. Uh, sometimes in, in live uh, situations, the, the, the anger sometimes rises and sometimes indigenous people get on their own way, get, up, get, get in their own way or vice versa, other groups. Because the divisions that exist have been years and years in the making and they're entrenched in much of our psyche. And so it, it takes special sort of not manipulating, uh, caressing or stroking <laughs> to guide all these energies into something that's conditionally good for everybody, not just one side <laughs> or the other. But I mean, what a fine line, right? Like you're 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 saying we don't want to manipulate. We want it to be an organic conversation. We don't want to sit there and say, I'm coming in with my biases and I want to make sure you eventually see it my way. Uh, You're absolutely right. Kind of caressing, I think, is the perfect word. How do we caress and mold this conversation to make sure that everybody does feel heard? But at the same time, we're progressing, because if you have two people just butting heads arguing, yelling, screaming at each other, both saying my way is the best way. You got to hear me out. You're, you're right. We've got to figure out a better way. And that might be the, the exact end. No pressure, Lawrence, but that's you, buddy. That- <laughs> I've, I've worked on the uh, so-called residential school file for 25 years now, right at the front end of it. There was so much despair and desperation and division hatred, anger, despondency, all of us, government, church, uh, the Assembly of First Nations, survivors like myself, the Indian Residential School Survivors Society, which I was the executive director, were trying to find ways to see how we could even work together. Like, because this was such a monumental problem with no obvious solutions. And somebody had the brilliant idea, you know what, what we should do is have a meeting to decide what will keep us at the table through the course of all these discussions that we're going to need. And there'll be years mm-hmm. in the making these discussions. So th- we did. We had seven national dialogues across the country. And the the the, the focus of those dialogues was what will keep us together at this table, no matter how hard the challenge? And those ideas slowly began to manifest. And they, they were really easy, too. It's funny how we didn't see them. But we started to identify values that, was, that would keep us at the table. Love, respect, 
understanding. Uh, and at the end of those dialogues, we had one summary meeting to make a collection of what we all think would be good guideposts for keeping us at the table. And at the end of the day, we ended up with a little charter that said, we, the parties, and we named our parties, uh, agree to work together to resolve the issue of residential schools, et cetera, and we'll be guided by these values and principles. And and it really worked. All of a sudden, we were able to sit in the same room, pound a table, point each other, threaten each other, and realize that we'd still be here and we'd meet again somewhere the next time. And that allowed us to slowly have a deeper understanding about the collective challenge that we all had. And there was a real breakthrough on, on how we saw each other, that everybody had a place, the church had its place, the politicians, the survivors, and we all needed to stay together to come out with some kind of response that would be more appropriate than not. It was really a miracle sort of process and end result. And I think that's really important when we're moving forward, even in this digital space, depending on who you're talking to, to begin with the idea of what are the what are the rules, what are the expectations, what do we agree to, and what will keep us together to resolve some of these really challenging issues. So it's possible, even in the circumstance we find ourselves with survivors and church people, especially in government people. The first few meetings were acrimonious and scary, really, frankly. But we got through it, and soon people were hugging each other, people were crying. There was even some forgiveness in the room. But if those, if we can reach those kind of moments where all of us in our little parties can recognize our our sort of common humanity, we have we have a chance of moving forward incrementally because we trust in what we've collectively said is the way to go or that it's good. Or we can identify what's bad and we try to avoid that. You know? I think that's, um, I mean, there's so much there. This is why I'm so happy that we're having this conversation today with you because I think the guidance you're providing us, uh, particularly folks like me who are in this tech space and the work that we're going to do, it's so important that we're checking in and just making sure that we're getting it as most right as we can, because we're doing things that have never been done before. And how do we go down this path uh, in a way that's good and ultimately lifts our people up? And sometimes there's a lot of anger and not a lot of trust in the work that we're doing, that this is just one more thing that's going to destroy our communities or tear them apart. Um, and so making space for these conversations, particularly with folks like you and others who are leaders in our ways, in our Indigenous life, in those things that matter, those values and principles that you spoke about, are so really important to check in on to make sure that we are getting it as, as right as we can along the pathway, understanding that we're going to have to switch or navigate or change course based on the feedback we get uh, from the folks who are actually using the technology and, of course, from wisdom like yours, Chief Joseph. Your book, uh, and I, I want to just do a shout out and just acknowledge 
your new book that was just released, uh, I think in September, Nam Wayut, We Are All One, A Pathway to Reconciliation, is this beautiful story of, of your journey through this course of reconciliation. And and it's one of the it's one of those books where I'm, you know, laughing and then crying and then laughing and then crying and then laughing again because just the way that you tell the story of your journey. And you've certainly been through a lot. I mean, not only the the trauma and the pain of of, of being dropped off at that residential school when you were just a, a young boy to growing up and surviving that trauma and suffering through addiction and, and making some pivots and some changes along the way to get to where you are now. Can you share with us, you know, that journey, the lessons learned on that journey and a kindness to oneself and, a, and to forgive oneself and to just to try to do the work. The teaching I took away from my grandfather was just to do the work and enjoy the work and that the heavy lifting is the good work and just find peace with that and do something that matters, not only to yourself, but to others. Like have a purpose, make a difference. Don't just exist for the sake of, of being, but try to do something that matters. What are your thoughts there on, on your journey and how you come to this place now where you are so impactful and the work you're doing matters to so many people and is celebrated in your wonderful new book? Thank you. Uh, before I try to answer that, I, I just wanted to say, how do we, how do we do what we're doing? You're reaching out to find out, starting from what we're, we've learned, what you've learned, and you want to begin to move into the space used to be called community before. Uh, one of the first things that I learned when I started 25 years ago to work with residents of school survivors, church and government, was that there was so much mistrust. It was just an absolute deep, dark hole. I, I don't have the mm. word, but... Yeah. What I learned, it was survivors. They didn't trust them. They didn't want to walk, work with those other guys, and and so they said, "We want to, we want to work in safe space." So here, this moment, this time, this process, you have to give description to that safe space when you're inviting people to come, especially Indigenous people. But there may be others who don't feel it's safe neither. And, and it's really been basic. Well, the only way to create space is through protocol and ceremony. Hmm. Everybody can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Either you pray, you burn sage, or you smudge, or you read the Bible, or you sing a song, pray. But when you get people together, you ask them all to come in with their own ways of spiritual being. And then you ask them, how do you create safe space? Mm. And that grows with all um, multiple times that you see it practice and hear of it practice, much like the um, land acknowledgement. And nobody knows this yet, but it's a way to save, to, to save, to create sacred space. It says something good about somebody's perception of lands, time, and history, their relationship to the land, etc. And so there are ways out there that are going to be easily identified with the groups that you work. And you say, well, we want to start by creating safe space so that everybody here feels absolutely safe, but we're all committed to the same thing. Hmm. And that you all be honest and open and accountable about what you say and, and, and you speak your truth. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, 
We're going to find little steps, big steps along the way to move uh, forward. So I really I didn't want to miss that part. Oh, <laughs> no, I, you know, there's so much sage wisdom here. It really was about navigating that adversity and you've gone, you've had a life full of adversity and a life full of joy and happiness and love uh, and kindness, but also some really painful points. And, and you've managed to come through that. Okay. So what's your advice to folks out there who are struggling? My teaching from my grandfather was just do the work, enjoy the work, take joy in the work, but do the heavy lifting. Don't just exist, you know, may, do something that matters. And how each of us define that is entirely up to us, of course, and what that means. Maybe it's just being a good husband, maybe it's a good father, maybe it's being a business owner, maybe it's being a leader in the tech space, maybe it's just being a kind uncle and a good community member. Do you have thoughts on that in terms of your journey, some advice you may give to folks who are struggling, who want to do the heavy lifting, but still struggle with so much else. Yeah, I wish I had a memory like yours. <laughs> in all of our lives, in life's journey, somewhere there were one or two, maybe more, heroes in yes, your yes. lives. Grandmas, maybe it was a great aunt, maybe it was a friend of a friend, but along <laughs> life's way, nothing. There is, I'd rather nobody misses the opportunity to have been told something that is so significant and impacts your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit, how you speak, how you act, what you're committed to, what your values are, and contributes to who you are. We have a tendency to forget those things. And I, I don't blame anybody because some of us have long lives that we've lived through, right? And we live in a fast-paced life now. Mm. So we don't really have all our time to keep looking back. And I keep hearing Chief Tom Dawson talking to me or my granny talking to me. Right. And right. So, soon we isolate ourselves from the wisdom of the ages. Have wisdom of the ages. You don't have to be indigenous. To be that. But the secret is to be able to hold on to that wisdom somehow. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is we somehow learn to live it out, live out the wisdom. Mm -hmm. Because the origin of purpose starts to begin to flow from that wisdom that comes from those grannies and grandpas, mm -hmm. but life experience. And we have to somehow regain as individuals the ability to keep a little storehouse somewhere here that reminds you of all the things that made you feel good, that made you feel belong, made you feel valued, and you had the courage to even want to determine your destiny, your purpose, and you, you had value. So often we lose this Personal, personal value. Too many kids nowadays do that. Mm -hmm. And that's why in the indigenous culture, they're always insisting, you got to look back, man. <laughs> Otherwise, you're dead. You're colonized. You're desperate. Yeah. You're alone. You're poor. You don't belong. You're not connected, right? So I think it's really important to remember your heroes, <laughs> to remember all the acts of <laughs> kindness that you encountered and all of us have encountered those kinds of things.
And then as we reach that point in our life, when we actually see the future, we can bring forward all of the goodness that was ever learned and incorporated into your new way of being, into your new way of understanding how, how the universe works. It's really important. You know what? I didn't know it was that important until the last few years, like thinking about it. Thinking about it. As a matter of fact, there was a time in my own life I was so embarrassed, so humiliated that I was indigenous and I had a culture. I thought, I don't need that anymore. I've got to find a way to get rich or famous or whatever it takes. So I think we have to value. Uh, our very origins, our, our, our own genesis, and all of the language that evolved from that experience previous, and then bring full and bring it forward. One of the things that I had to do was absolutely realize that in spite of my anger and rejection of all of those white people I used to see, I realized that I'm not going to be a complete, whole, free, uh, loving, caring, open human being unless I accept the reality and resist the reality of everybody else. So we're one, we're numiot. It's got to count for something. And if we resist Numiut, we'll always have these restrictions of barrier, fear, or whatever it is of different things. So Numiut is a really important word. that We always need to encourage ourselves that we belong to the universe. We are the universe, right? Mm. And how big is that? And when I think about all of my failures, my time on that beach when I just about drifted away mm -hmm. like a piece of drift driftwood, I now dismiss that completely. And I'm part of this huge, big, wondrous sort of creation that I'll never understand fully, but I'm part of it. So how big is that? So how big can that be for everybody else once we grasp that notion? Hmm. Amazing. That's so interesting. It reminds me very much of uh, something a friend of mine used to tell me. He's a uh, civil rights activist in the United States, uh, uh, African-American heritage, and, and his biggest pet peeve is the way that we teach uh, kind of uh, when February comes around and it's Black History Month, and he says, I hate it. And I and finally I said to you, like, why? It's it's bigger than ever now. Like, more people are, are talking about it than ever. And he says, yeah, but the starting point is when my people were at their lowest and were, you know, uh, uh, that shouldn't be the starting point of my history. It should go before that when we were kings and we were, you know, in Africa. And, and like, that's where the, the pride should come from, right? And, and uh, uh Chief Robert Joseph, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, that's kind of what you were saying was going back past, all right, yeah, I don't want to be part of that that culture that that's, uh, doesn't have something to be proud of. Go back before that when when uh, the First Nations people were, uh, the you know, part of the world and walking and, and, you know, taking care of the earth and everything. If I'm understanding correctly, that's kind of what you were pointing to. Yeah, special, sovereign, have a right to be here. 
determine our own destiny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All those things that uh, others take for granted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You made reference, Chief, to you know, chasing the money uh, at some point in your life saying that was going to make me happy. And you know that, and I know that. And I think most folks know that chasing money does not make you happy. Chasing the goal doesn't make you happy. What makes you happy is family and community and, and the love of, of the space you share with others and grandchildren and, and their love for you. That, that's, that's what real happiness looks like and feels like. As we do our work here in this technology space and as we, as we exist here in this country, and create these companies, these corporations, if you like, under the rules of a colonialized system. Corporations, shareholders, investors, who all require some proof of life in terms of wealth for their interests at the end of the day in the work that we do. And often the work that, like for example, with One Feather, we rely on investors to help us move the needle in terms of the work that we do. And there's a tension that exists between me and my shareholders, for example, around the concept of wealth and money and the return on that investment. And I try to lead from a place that says, it's not about the money. We're going to do good work and we're going to take our time and I need you to be patient. And so when we think about how Indigenous values and principles reconstruct, if you like, how we do business in this modern age, how we define what matters to us in terms of that bottom line, um, where money is not the leading factor. You know, there are, there are other things that are as important, perhaps more so important to make sure that, and I think as you've illustrated and demonstrated in this whole conversation about doing it with values and principle and purpose in a way that lifts people up and is not extractive and does really good things. What's your advice to folks in this space or anybody for that matter who is a young or is sorry, young, you don't have to be young, but you're an entrepreneur, you're an indigenous person who wants to do business in a good way. What are the teachings? What are the values? What are the, your thoughts on how we do that in a way that, that lifts our people up? Doesn't have to focus about on the money um, or it shouldn't necessarily focus on the money. We still need to live. We still need to pay the rent and put food on our table and, and do all those things that are essential. Um, but creating, you know, a space where there's some equity there, I think is important and certainly in a way that aligns with our indigenous values uh, and our, and our principles. I think we all agree that money has some importance. We're not saying do away with it. That's right. Yeah. But I think what would be important for new entrepreneurs, indigenous ones in particular, working with mainstream entrepreneurs and others would be to begin to acknowledge and recognize community values that are important. Where these businesses go to operate, what are those what are those values? What would be important as a starter would be to consider operating in a way that uh, is much more inclusive. When you get in and it's a new business, go and talk to the community, go and talk to those young entrepreneurs. See what their opinions are and include them in the planning and embrace those things that are affordable that you can include and work on responding in other ways. This unilateral approach to development of any kind really needs to be looked at seriously and to be advised that what they should be doing now is considering the, 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 the community values where they're operating. Uh, the inclusivity of their endeavor, what's more friendly to the environment, a host of reasons. But opening up the mindset about a business simply being the bottom line, the profit margin, and really begin to build out real collaboration 
partnership, um, new training, new job opportunities. There's so many things that can happen if we create a new window through which all of us can look through and say, what is the best possible way forward for the business, for that community, and for the territory at large, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the world, really. We need, really need to be responding in ways to environmental concerns that are international. How do we begin to do that as well? But really thinking outside the box in big time ways. And uh, I know that it's not always possible to do it suddenly, mm-hmm. but start working out action plans that create better conditions, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've monopolized the conversation a bit from my my friends, Tommy and, and Al, as a loved and endeared and revered chief. You are saying that our folks, that our young people, the folks who want to carve a new path here, have license and permission to do so as long as they do it in a good way that aligns with our values and principles and that it's okay to go out there and take some risks and do some heavy lifting and make some mistakes and, and come back and check in and see how we're doing and can verify why it's important and how it's important and how it will differentiate the, uh, that space and lift our people up. What do you have for any last kind of words of advice, if you like, from a technology perspective and make sure that we build good technologies, but just on that space that it's okay to be pioneers. And if I could be so bold to use the, the term you used, warriors in this space to go out there and do something that's never been done before and that it's okay as long as it's done in a good way. Yeah, I I, I think it should be absolutely uh, uh, the possibility to... To, to be brave and bold, courageous around new ideas. That's what gives life to processes, I think. But I think to build a knowledge base among them all, among mm-hmm. us all, that uh, uh, serve as uh, safeguards, we'll know if something's beyond the pale. <laughs> and, and we have this ability to talk to each other consult with each other and work around those things that are real challenges to make sure that we do what is doable and that it's as courageous as it possibly can be for the moment. And that's what keeps it going, I think. I think it's really opening our minds mutually together to work together. And it's really all about reconciling the different mindsets that come from different stratas and experiences and races and culture. I think we're going to develop the ability to create those processes that create the deepest of understanding that will allow us to mitigate the worst of possible consequences for bad decisions or whatever. Hmm. Thank you, sir. I'm really glad, Lawrence, that you asked uh, the question that uh, came down to the practical matter of money and uh, the the entire time leading up to that, I was thinking about like that, can you really think about colonialism without thinking about capitalism? And then to, to really cap things off, I think we just got a recipe on how to decolonize digital space, as so many of my <laughs> colleagues would say in the university. So I'm I'm really grateful for your time, Chief Bobby Joseph. This has been really, really insightful. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank you. I've uh, actually enjoyed it. Now I gotta go home and examine, review my answers. <laughs> but I think it's really this process. I, I I just see the potential, and it's so valuable. 
It's a new time, a new space, and we got to find ways to enter it and maximize its potential for value and positivity and benefit for everybody. Well, through your, your gracious insight and sharing your time with us, I hope that uh, through one feather, two pens, we can keep the conversation going. So thank you again so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Halakasla. Thank you. Halakasla. <laughs>